0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henman. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel, Ohio. Luke chapter 23, our text is verses 1 through 25, chapter 23, verses 1 through 25, and today is part two. Of the message that we started last week, called "Jesus on Trial," so chapter twenty-three, uh, starting in verse one, it begins this way. Then the whole company of them—that is, speaking of the religious leaders—that is, last week we remember that you know Jesus was taken in the night from the Garden of Gethsemane; and he was arrested and illegally and he was taken before two illegal trials. We remember one before Annas, who was the former high priest, and then he was taken before Caiaphas, who was the acting high priest. And we saw as they took him before Caiaphas that, you know, they they brought out all these false witnesses who spoke against Jesus, and, and yet their testimony, they would get up and contradict one another. But it it didn't matter because it was a kangaroo court. It was a hung jury, so to speak, anyway. And, and listen, as they did that, they began to despise Jesus. And we saw then that they blindfolded him. And then they began to beat him. That is, you know, they, they clocked him from nowhere and just started, as strong as they possibly could, started beating him with their fists and then they began to mock him and say, hey, you know, Jesus, prophesy who hit you. You know, prophesy who just clocked you from that direction. And, and then ultimately, to add insult to injury, they, they spit upon his face. And then we saw ultimately that dawn came. And so at dawn, we saw them taking Jesus Uh, ultimately to an official meeting with the council of the Sanhedrin. And and they did so because there was a legal process in uh, Israel at that time. There there was a legal system. And so listen, they needed to paper over the the affairs of the night. And, And so they came to this council to make it legal, to make it legit that they were condemning Jesus Christ as a criminal and that also allowed them once they got the ruling of the Sanhedrin to take the next step in the process and that was to bring him before the Roman authorities and so that brings us up to our passage this morning. Verse one again, then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. Now, Ultimately, you know, why did they do that? Why did they bring him before Pilate? Well, the Roman government had taken away from the Jews their authority to execute criminals. And so now they have to go to Rome if they want to do that. They have to go before Roman authority. And so they're taking them, or they're taking Jesus to Pilate, who's the governor over the area of Judea, verse 2. And they began to accuse him, that is Jesus. Now, John chapter 18 actually gives us the first conversation that they have with Pilate. And in the first conversation, when they come before Pilate with Jesus, Pilate just kind of turns to him and says, Listen, you know, you go deal with him with your own laws. You know, I don't want anything to do with that. And so they actually had to go back and rehuddle. And they had to think about, you know what, we need to come up with a, a different accusation that's not just theological, that he's not just claiming to be a god because Rome doesn't care about that. Well, we need to come up with some better reasons, you know, to get what we wanted. We we need to figure out and, and show Rome that, that Jesus is a threat to them. And and so that brings us into verse 2, because verse 2 is actually their second conversation with Pilate and Pilate. So they've rehuddled. This is what they say. And they began to accuse him. Again, that is Jesus saying, We found this man misleading our nation. That's the first accusation. And forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. That's the second accusation. And saying that he himself is Christ, a king. That's the third accusation. And so they come up with three false accusations that they think, hey, th- this will stick with Pilate. You know, th- this will play with the Roman government. And so let's, let's look at that first accusation again. Take a look at verse 2 again. We found this man misleading our nation. And that is, listen, Jesus is a revolutionary. He, he, he's a traitor. You know, he, he's causing distrust in, in Rome's institutions. And that, of course, was a lie. You know, Jesus was not misleading the nation. He was doing nothing but ministering to those who were in the nation. He was just healing people, loving people, feeding people. The second accusation, verse 2 again, and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. That is, they're saying, hey, Pilate, you know, he's going around telling people not to pay their taxes. You know, you want to get the government mad at you? That's a good one. (laughs) But listen, that wasn't true either. You know, we remember that the disciples specifically asked Jesus that question, right? And and so Jesus responded, listen, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. That is, Jesus directly told him, pay your taxes. And then the third accusation, verse two again, (laughs) saying that he himself is Christ a king. That is, you know, listen, Pilate, Jesus is trying to be the king over Rome in opposition to Caesar. And John 18 tells us that Jesus said, you know what, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, then my servants would have been fighting. Verse 3. And so Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? That is, that, that you is in the emphatic position, and so it has kind of the idea of you're joking. That is, are, you're joking, right? Are you supposed to be the, the, the king of the Jews? That is, when Pilate is looking at Jesus, and he sees nothing threatening in Jesus whatsoever. He's, he sees no royalty going on in, in Jesus' appearance or demeanor whatsoever. Verse 4. Then Pilate said to the, or I mean, then Jesus answered him. He said, you have said so. That is, listen, Jesus doesn't give a big defense, doesn't do a miracle. He simply gives that same simple reply that he gave to the high priest that we saw last week, the night before. Verse 4. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Now now Pilate will have these questions. Uh, conversations with Jesus multiple times, and then every time that Pilate questions Jesus, he concludes, this guy's innocent, man. I can find no guilt in this man. And and listen, Pilate was a cruel guy, so for him to conclude that is pretty amazing. Verse 5, but they were urgent, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place, When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. That is, you know, Herod was the ruler over Galilee. Pilate was the ruler over Judea, verse 7. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at that time. So listen, now sending uh, Jesus to Herod was a win for Pilate in two ways. One, Herod and Pilate were enemies. And so for Pilate to be able to send Jesus over to Herod, he he could kind of couch it. And listen, I'm I'm respecting your authority because he's a Galilean. And so, you know, I know that's your authority. I'm not overstepping here. And so he can ingratiate himself with Herod. And then at the same time, he doesn't have to deal with Jesus either because he doesn't want to deal with the whole situation anyway. So it's a win-win for Pilate to send him on over to Herod. Now history tells us, secular history tells us at this time, it kind of adds some insight into where Pilate was at this time in his political career. And secular history tells us that he was in a lot of of hot water, uh, so to speak, politically speaking, and that he had two big strikes against him so far in his ministration. There were two huge riots that he Caused amongst the people, and and the first one was as he sent his soldiers bearing insignias that you know the Jews viewed as idols onto the Temple Mount, and and so in, in modern terms uh, that would be like talking today that you know Pilate went from you know governing on the outside of the church. He went from, you know, keeping law and order on the outside of the church to sending his soldiers into the church and shutting it down. And so the Jews' reaction to that was they rioted. And so Pilate then said to him, Listen, if you don't disperse, I'm going to start killing you. And, and so the Jews' response was go ahead. Go ahead. We're not budging. They stood their ground, and ultimately, uh, pilot backed off and uh, gave in to their demands. Now, that's not unlike. That's not. Uh, that is somewhat similar to what we see even happening today with Trudeau and the in the Freedom Convoy, right? That is, what, the point I want to make is there's nothing new under the sun, and, and there's always a clear pattern for totalitarian behavior, right? So there's nothing new, and we've seen that globally over the past two years, and, and probably most disconcerting to us is that it's happened here in our own state as well as our own nation and then our neighbors in Canada and Australia and places that you were thought, you know, hey, they are about freedom. And so I say all that to say this, church, as we move forward, we need to stand for freedom against all tyranny. You know, listen, whether it's on the local school board whether it's in the state or whether it's in the Fed, that's right. we need to stand for freedom. We need to stand for righteousness until Jesus comes. And so, listen, uh, we need to stand against mandates, we need to stand against lockdowns, we need to stand against passports. Yes. 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 Because that's about control. We we know where the world's going. We know that it is about ultimately having a one-world government, one-world control. And and listen, I'm not not picking on a particular party. Listen, Bush is where it really went into overdrive. Bush sold America out big time. But what I want us to understand is, you know, um, there's going to be another crisis. They already do not want to let go of their power right now. They're not going to give it back. What they've taken, they're not going to give back. They never do. And so they're already preparing us for another crisis. You remember when we covered Jesus' words about the end times here in Luke, I told you, watch him pivot to climate change next that they'll elevate climate change to the same crisis level as COVID was. And have you been listening? That's exactly what they've been talking about, even specifically this week. Biden saying, listen, the climate change crisis is on the same level as the COVID-19 crisis, and therefore we need a unified federal response to climate change. Well, what does that mean? It means all the things that I told you that they are trying to enact. And, and how long it will take, I don't know. It's already on the books. All that about, listen, the reason they want to digitize money? Control. You can lock it down. <laughs> you, you have to pay all your taxes that way, too. That's a big drive. But listen, it's easy to seize that money. It's easy to control that money. It's easy to track where that money is going. So now we can control your carbon imprint. And now we'll have a social credit system that's just like it's already in play in China, but we're all playing off that playbook. They won't call it that. It's the same. You'll have a social credit score for how eco-friendly you are, for how woke you are, that you're speaking the right narrative that you're supposed to and you'll get a score, and based on that score will be what loans you get. Listen, already corporate loans, already in America, corporate loans have an EGA score, which is a social credit score. They're not enforcing it as necessary for your loan money, but they're already keeping score. I told you they'll be carving credit cards, and once you had your You know, your max of gas in your home or your max of gas in your car, they'll shut it off. Same with your smart homes. It's all about ultimately control. And listen, it's all about saving the planet. It's all about safety. It's all about security, right? (laughs) That's what they say. And so interesting. I, I'll take you there. I, I, I was ha- I, on date night. I was having a conversation with my wife because I'm really romantic this way. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, I've always wrestled with this passage, and, and, and it's just kind of come to light uh, this year. First Timothy four three. If you want to keep your finger there, we'll come back. But First Timothy four three says this never really, it just was strange. It's a strange passage. I'm like, what is that even going to look like? I'll start in verse 1, just for context, verses 1 through 3. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Boy, do you see a lot of that today. The, the rise of paganism, the rise of psychedelic drugs where people are having demonic, spirit, demonic experiences, but they don't call them demons. Oh, man, it's just like an overdrive right now. People microdosing, that is demonic, demonic, demonic. And they all have a universal conscious experience, and we're all connected, and we're all saving the world. It all flows together. It's demonic through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. That's all the billionaires in power. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. It's always been a weird passage. I'm like, what weird cult is going to do that? You know, you've seen kind of expressions of that throughout the ages, and yet again, as you look at the whole eco-friendly thing, and and we look at society today, those who forbid marriage or that that verse can also mean uh, hinder. And so you think about, well, what is the biblical definition of marriage? What is Paul talking about? He's talking about the biblical definition of marriage: one man, one woman for one lifetime. Is that? type of marriage supported in our culture today? Absolutely not. That's what it looks like. Second, they'll have you abstain from certain foods. Now that word certain foods is most often translated meat. In fact, the King James says meat, but it also means certain foods. And I think it says certain foods because I think eggs come into play here. And so what is the whole narrative with the ecological thing? Listen, we need to stop eating meat because animals are hurting the planet as well and our consumption of animals is hurting the planet and we can't afford to feed the whole planet with all this meat. We need to get rid of our meat consumption and replace it with plant-based meat and plant-based eggs. Have you seen that? Yes. There you go, First Timothy 4.3. I've never seen it before, but it's Clear as a bell right now, what that looks like. The Bible's always true, that's my point. Verse 8. When Herod, now, side note, by the way, this Herod is the same Herod who beheaded John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. When Herod saw Jesus, he was, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some what sign done by him. Well, I, I forgot to tell you the second strike because I got off on 1 Timothy 4.3 that, that politically that Pilate had against him. The second one is he took money from the temple and he used it to build back Israel better by making a new waterway <laughs> with that money. That didn't go over well. The Jews flipped out. Anyway, so he he can't afford to have a third strike. That's my point. He can't afford to have another political upheaval as he deals with Jesus, and so that's why he punts him over to Herod happily, and now Jesus is before Herod, and Herod's like, yeah, I've been wanting to see Jesus. I want, I want to see him do a sign, and and so ultimately, Herod, he, he wants to be amused, right? He, he wants to be entertained by Jesus. He's not taking Jesus seriously. And, you know, because he could have gone and seen Jesus at any moment. Jesus' whole ministry was full of miracles. In fact, the Gospel of John says, you know, the, the volumes of books could not be written to contain all the miracles that Jesus did and so his whole ministry was full of, of miracles but you know Herod says hey do another and ultimately listen we can fall into that same kind of temptation in our relationship with god that is you know we cry out god you know why don't you answer my prayer you know why why haven't you given me that job why why haven't you you know blessed this relationship why why haven't you moved in and this need and and we'll say something like this, you know, I would believe God if if you could just show me something, and the reality is, no you wouldn't, not long term anyway, not not long term. You see the Bible teaches that faith comes through hearing the word of God. And so if you want to know God, if you want to increase in faith and understanding, you want to be rooted in your knowledge of God, you want your faith anchored and sure, then you must immerse yourself in the Word of God and obey all of it. And so listen, miracles can encourage our faith. They can help our faith, no doubt about it, but they ultimately cannot produce it. Listen, alone, all they do is produce a desire for another miracle or chasing another experience, and see, that's what people do even without Jesus. We see this even in the book of Exodus, don't we? You know, the people of God, you know, the God delivers them from Egypt right through the Red Sea, huge miracle millions of people walking through the middle of a sea on dry land. Another huge miracle, he feeds them for years on out, supernaturally from heaven. Keep in mind, millions of people. He has them drink from a rock, water coming from a rock. Huge, huge miracle after miracle. But listen, after every single miracle the people began to disbelieve and they began to get discouraged and then they began to rebel and disobey every single time. They would forget the miracle that God just did in the face of the next problem, in the face of the next need. And listen, I'm I'm not trying to minimize that because that next problem and that next need was overwhelming and was painful and was all that kind of stuff. And so what I'm saying is this, is listen, God can come and he can answer 10 of our prayers and we just kind of, you know, put those in the corner and say, you know what, Jesus, what have you done for me lately? (laughs) And so that one that Jesus hasn't answered, that one where he hasn't moved, we just kind of get hung up on that and we forget Everywhere he has moved, we forget what miracles he has done. And so this is just my point. Listen, as we pray for God to move, as we pray for God to do miracles, hear me, don't misunderstand. We serve a God of miracles. He is faithful. He is good. He desires to do miracles. We are to pray in that way. He most certainly can. He most certainly wants to. But as we do, don't forget what he's done. Don't forget where he's done is move so you don't only fixate on what he is he hasn't done yet in your life or listen your faith will go like this yeah yeah so ultimately listen ground yourself in who god is and you ground yourself in who god is by grounding yourself in the word otherwise you're just going to be riding the circumstances of life saying you believe in Jesus, but you don't really know him, because if you knew him, you wouldn't ride that roller coaster. Verse 9. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. That is, you know, when when Jesus refused to entertain Herod, Herod decided to entertain himself by, you know, picking on Jesus. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. and And Herod and Pilate became friends. With each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. That is, you know, two enemies became friends in their opposition to Jesus. We talked about that last week. Verse 13, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. And, and so listen, Pilate tried to punt the issue. Herod sending him back. Verse 14, and said to him, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. That is, you know, again, Pilate repeatedly says, Jesus is innocent, but here's the problem. He is in politically hot water. That's why I told you all that history. And so listen, he needs to appease the crowd. And so this is what he tries to do in verse 16. I will therefore punish and release him. Now listen, that's not a just judgment, right? You know, an innocent man does not deserve punishment any kind, right? If he's innocent... That's not a just judgment. Now, Luke doesn't tell us what that punishment was, but the other gospels do. He was scourged. And so the Roman custom of scourging was very, very brutal. It was a brutal whipping. And what they would do is they would take a criminal and they would strip them and they would tie their hands together on a post and they would tie them up Tightly enough, the post was high enough and until their feet were were barely touching the ground, so their toes were barely touching. So it would stretch the skin on their back as tightly as possible. And then two soldiers would come around the back of that prisoner and they would take what was called a cat of nine tails, which was a whip with nine leather strips, and on the end of it were bone fragments and metal fragments. And they would begin to lay those leather straps as hard as they could over the back of the prisoner. And those leather straps with those bone fragments and metal fragments would embed themselves into the flesh of the back. And they would wrap around the torso as well. And then they would pull back on those whips and rip flesh off the back and off the side of the prisoner to the point where bone was exposed and vital organs were exposed. And so that is the point to which Jesus was whipped. He was whipped 39 times. No doubt you could see his bones. No doubt his organs were exposed. Verse 18. they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas. Now what in the world is going on here? Why are they asking for Barabbas instead of Jesus? Well, the Roman government uh, had established with the Jewish nation that during Passover, they would release a prisoner. And usually, you know, just for justice that maybe someone got falsely accused or that sort of thing. It was an act of goodwill to, to kind of, you know, smooth things over between Rome and the Jewish nation. And so every Passover, they, they did this. And so Pilate has this idea. He wants to use this to, to release Jesus because he knows he's innocent and so he goes and he finds the absolute worst criminal that he has in custody. This guy is a notorious murderer and rapist and thief. And his name is Barabbas. And Pilate is thinking, surely. <laughs> Listen, surely they will choose Jesus and and not Barabbas, I mean, they don't want this guy running around in their community, raping their wives, you know, stealing from their business, you know, killing their kids. They're not going to want to release this guy back into their community. For sure, they'll choose Jesus. I mean, he just heals people and feeds people and loves on them. Maybe he says some crazy things, but really, they, they've got to choose Jesus, And yet to Pilate's amazement and dismay, they choose to condemn Jesus and they ask for Barabbas to be released back out into their neighborhoods, to be released back out into their community. And so here's my point insanity happens when we reject Jesus that is to say when a when a people when a nation rejects God those people their leaders call evil good and good evil and in their great wisdom they become fools It's insanity. We look around at our nation and we go, it's insane. Because when you reject God's law, you're left to man's confusion. It's not rocket science. It is absolutely clear why we look around and go, it's insane. But it's also demonic deception because we think we're so wise. We think we're enlightened. (laughs) It's just an old dusty book with old stupid laws and a God that doesn't exist, right? We're so smart. We got it figured out. We're in such a better place, aren't we? Verse 18. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Now take a look again at verse 23 real quick with me. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their, what? Voices prevailed. That is, there were two voices that Pilate was hearing, and one was the voice of his conscience, and one was the voice of the crowd. That is, when we listen more to the world, hear me, friends, it obscures it obscures the word and our perspective is muddy and our hearts are muddy and our minds are muddy and then listen our actions are kind of muddy we're confused we're befuddled but listen when we when we listen more to the word we can speak to the world, because our hearts are pure, and our minds are clean, and our acts become righteous. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.